Having grown up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Katie Rose McLaughlin studied ballet at the Joffrey New School BFA program before falling in love with contemporary dance and going to clown school in Switzerland. Her extensive work has been presented at prestigious venues such as the Chocolate Factory, Dixon Place, Here Arts Center, and Judson Church. Katie Rose blends the traditions of classical dance with narrative-driven theater to create something wholly unique and her own. We kept trying to say it's dance theater in literally every sense, it's dance and theater, um, but it's not what you think dance theater is. And so we started to sort of like break it apart to say what exactly that is. And we realized that actually we're both designers. I'm a movement designer and he's a text designer. And we use those elements to create something completely new. This is In Step with Broadway Dance Lab, a podcast that explores the practice and process of becoming a choreographer. Join me today for a truly inspiring and creative conversation with choreographer Katie Rose McLaughlin. Katie Rose, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, So the first question that I always ask is, how did dance find its way into your life? Um, The story that I'm told is that I was a very clumsy child, (laughs) and my parents knew. Well, my dad, like, tried to make me athletic, like, he wanted me to be in sports, and he tells me the story of, he was trying to teach me how to play soccer, and I was like, what color jerseys are we wearing? Like, do we like each other? Are we on the same team? How do we feel about each other? And like, all I wanted was like the backstory. And then when it came to actually playing the game, I had no interest. And so my dad was like, okay, like how can we get this kid physical? Because I was a very physical child and also very clumsy. So they were like martial arts or ballet. Okay. And I went and studied with a woman for like a year. And she was like, I think she's going to be really good. And so my parents put me in like, the best ballet school in Minnesota, which was great. And so I started a pre-professional program when I was seven and then stayed there until I was 18. And that was Minneapolis, right? That was Minneapolis, yeah. It was Ballet Arts Minnesota, and it was run by Bonnie Mathis, who used to be a principal dancer with American Ballet Theater. Um, And it was really, really, really fantastic. And did you watch a lot of dance or theater growing up? I did. My parents were really fantastic about taking me to see things. Um, We always went to see both dance and theater, but a lot of theater. Um, We saw the Children's Theater in Minneapolis, which is really good. Um, There's a theater company called Jun Loon. Um, They do Lecoq-style, like, European physical theater. Um, and then we went to the Guthrie's there. We went to the Guthrie a lot. And then we also went, Northrop Auditorium has like all of the touring dance shows. So we saw all of that. Like I grew up with a poster of Twilight Tharp in my room because like they had toured um, doing White Oat Project before, I think like right before I was born, but I like had this poster because um, my parents went. So yeah, they took me to see a lot of things. Um, and so then you ended up studying at, with the Joffrey New School BFA program, yeah, right? Yeah, how, how did that How did that come about? Um, well, the last two years, my school started this program um, called Springboard. So junior, if at like when I was a junior and a senior in high school, I went to academic school for half of a day, and then I went to ballet school for like the other half of a day, but like pretty like six hours. Um, And so that was intended, like they called us a company 
Um, we did a lot, more, a lot of performing, more performing that you do in the school. Um, so you were really on track to be like a, a professional ballet dancer. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was. Um, you know, I went to all the summer programs. I did all the things. I remember at like age, it was either nine or 13. I think it was nine. We were going across the floor. Like, I remember exactly where I was. I was going across the floor. We were doing Gran Allegro, and I was like, I love this. <laughs> I want to do this always. Um, but also, I was always the kid that was like looking around and being like, she has better feet than me. Like, her turnout is better than me. Um, oh, I really like what she's doing with her arms. Like, let me try and see what that feels like in my body. Um, which ultimately is like not good to be a professional dancer, but obviously very good as a choreographer. So I knew I had to go to college um, because I wasn't going to get into a company right away. And so I went to, I got a full scholarship. I just like went to the place that like gave me the best deal. And Joffrey gave me a full scholarship. And it was run by Rebecca Wright, um, which was amazing. She was fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, the program ended. Um, there was a collaboration between Joffrey Ballet School in New York and the New School University. Didn't work out. Um, and so that ended and I had to change programs. But at the same time, I had auditioned, I got into my first company, um, my first ballet company, and it was like in the middle of nowhere. What company was it? Um, I don't even remember. Okay. Which is just crazy. Because <laughs> um, I remember like taking a bus by myself and like doing this great audition and then getting in and being like, do I want to live in the middle of nowhere? Right. Like, what is it about ballet? What is it about performing that is important to me? Mm -hmm. um, knowing my limitations as a dancer and performer. Um, and I was like, if this is as good as it gets for ballet for me, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. um, I want to perform for people. I want to tell stories in front of people, in front of lots of people, ideally. Um, and so... I decided to do to switch to modern. Um, so I went to the University of Minnesota. And then while I was going to school there, this theater company, Jun Loon, um, they held auditions. They had open auditions. I had never done a play in my life. I had never done theater in general um, ever in my life. And I, but I was like, these. There's five artistic directors. They're geniuses. Um, I want to just like hang out in a room with them for a couple minutes, and like they allowed you to do a dance or a monologue, and I was like, great, I'll do a little dance for them. Um, they'll like kick me out immediately, but I just need to do this, and I got into the show. Mm. So my first, my first piece of theater was a professional performance. Wow. Um, it was. It was amazing. What do you think they saw in you? Like, were you were, were you a, always a big performer, even in ballet? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I always got the character roles. Um, if like there isn't a job for character dancers anymore, like there are like if you've had a career and then you retire and then you can do the character roles, but like there isn't a role for character dancing until you're like older right like I would have happily had a career in ballet like doing all those crazy character roles mm -hmm. but that was like never going to happen until I was like much older um but also the greatest thing that happened is while we were doing that 
um, one of the company members sort of took me under his wing and sort of started to educate me in theater and because um, I was rightly terrified because <laughs> um, I had just never done anything like this before. And it's like vastly different, just the way that they describe things and how rehearsals work and... I mean, you know, coming from the world of ballet, I'm used to someone just like screaming at me and just doing what they tell me to do. Yes. And when they're like, okay, so like do something over there, I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? I could do anything you want, just tell me. Mm -hmm. um, so that was like, yeah. So they took me under their wing and sort of taught me. Um, and then they, there were a lot of workshops and lots of opportunities for them to like keep training me. Mm -hmm. Did you love great. it immediately? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I did. Um, it felt very, I mean, it was completely terrifying, but at the same time, extremely exciting because I felt like I was being valued for all of my skill sets, not just one thing, mm -hmm. finally. And then somehow you made your way across to Switzerland to clown school. Yes. How, did, how did that happen? Yes, so I went and trained. Um, so they, Lecoq um, had a school. Um, and that's where they all met each other. The five artistic directors of this theater company all went to school together. Um, half of them are Parisian, and then half of them are American, and they just ha also happen to be Minnesotans. So they used to go back and forth between Paris and America, or Paris and Minnesota, um, but then they finally just settled down in Minnesota. Um, but so the clown teacher who taught there, like the founding clown teacher, was my clown teacher. So in my like desire to educate myself and get better, um, they were like, you should go and study with this guy in Switzerland. Um, and they made a call, and then I went to Switzerland. Amazing. Um, and yeah. we should, I, I have a very good friend um, who discovered clown work a couple of years ago. She's an actress. And she, I would be remiss to not point out that we're not talking about Ringling Brothers with this, right? Yes, will, you, will you talk yeah. a little bit about yeah. what this clown training is like? Yeah, it's um, it's hard to it's hard to describe because I feel like the second you say clown, people think like um, red nose, red nose, and like crazy whatever, like baggy clothes, and like also they get scared because now we're trained to say the clowns are scary. Um, but it's more like if you think of Cirque du Soleil and you think about the characters that uh, come in between the acts, those are clowns. Um, and I actually, they asked me to audition for them, which was like very exciting. But yeah, so it's more about, I mean, clown work is actually like the perfect marriage of dance and theater. It's using your body to tell a story. Um, but even more than that, it's using your body to sort of like convey emotion. Um, it's about stripping down your, your your person um, into its like most um, essential parts, so that you can open openly and honestly tell a story, um, and that's why cl this type of clown work is actually so difficult, is because it requires you to just like you be completely defenseless at all points in time. Um, I cried every day of clown of clown school like which is sort of not what you think of <laughs> which is not school. what you think of because it's really hard to be funny because you can't just be funny uh -huh. it's not if you can't tell jokes if you can't you know have a punchline 
um, you can't just like wave your arms around and expect people to laugh. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, the first exercise of clown school is you have to make everyone laugh. <laughs> so you walk through a door and then you do whatever you want, but you have to make them laugh. And of course they're not gonna laugh because yeah. we're all like, who are you? Right. You're not funny. <laughs> um, the only person in my cohort who was able to make that happen ended up like throwing himself against the wall and like doing like pratfalls for like 15 minutes to the point where we were like, okay, like you're completely, you're doing everything you can and we'll like- Pity laughter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no one else got laughter. Everyone else was just like, so, so it like, you know, it, um, it's very humbling. Right. So, so did you go on to like, did you come right back to America after that? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came right back to America. I did another show with June Loon, um, which was great. It was this like, um, it was this play and I don't remember what it's called or who wrote it. Um, but it, there was just this like tiny little ensemble and we played like six or seven different characters. Like we kept going off stage and coming back on, which was really fun. None of us had any lines, but we had to be like, we were like tourists at a museum. So we had to like be very distinct in our characters and we all had little bits. And I did that, I think right after I came back from clown school. So I was able to sort of like stretch my wings and sort of feel, um, test out what I had learned. And were you already beginning to start wanting to choreograph? No, I think I started auditioning for more theater. Um, and because I never did any theater, the only training, the only thing like on my resume said was that I did dance. Mm. Um, but also like I was a good dancer. So I think that people were just like, oh, we need a dance in this play so we can put her in it and then she can make that dance. Mm -hmm. um, which like I really, I really was resisting being a choreographer because like I said, when you grow up doing ballet, like your choreographer comes in and tells you what to do. Mm -hmm. Like there's never a moment where you're like, let's improv eight counts. That's not what happens. It's right. like you're over there and you're over there and there are 18 of you on stage and like you're all doing the same thing at the same time. Um, and so I feel like I grew up with the sense that a choreographer, um, like you always needed a choreographer in order to like do something. And so I was like, I don't feel comfortable like being a performer and doing this other thing. Like let's get someone who does that professionally. Right. I'm just a dancer. Uh -huh. um, what made and you start so, believing? So, that, <laughs> so it just happened enough times, and then people just started asking me to choreograph things for them. And I was like, well, I'm not a choreographer, but also, like, I'm always hungry. Like, I'm always hungry for new experiences and being in the room with new people. And I have a hard time saying no to things like that. And so I, um, one of the first things I did was choreograph a musical called The Temp, which is about temping, which was amazing. Um, <laughs> And then I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then I got married, which was amazing. And then my husband was going to grad school in Pittsburgh, and I was like, I'll go too, like something new to do. And then I got to Pittsburgh, and I was like, oh, shit, I've got nothing to do. <laughs> um, and Dan was like, why don't you come in and choreograph at Carnegie Mellon, which is the school he was going to. Um, and so the directors, and I was like, I'm not a choreographer, I'm a performer. Mm -hmm. 
And then the like, and then I just started doing it over and over and over again. I did all of the shows that happened at Carnegie Mellon, um, in the like, that the directors did mm-hmm. from the t- for the two years that I was there. So I did like I don't know, ten shows a year. Wow. Probably. It's um, like a master class unto itself. Or yeah, like a way it's, of going to school. Yes, like, yeah. It's yeah. like I like to say that I got my free masters. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I got to work with all these different directors and all of these performers, um, some of who had dance training, some of who didn't. Um, and was your aesthetic, like, when you were just starting, were you were you already pulling mostly from your physical theater background? Or, or when you first started to choreograph, were you sort of hearkening back to that classical training? And, and then, you know, oh, what was that like? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I was definitely, because also while I was doing theater, I was also doing, like, post, post, postmodern dance Uh um so like very pedestrian um yes so that is what I because that's what I really when I first saw that I was like oh there's like weirdos in the world like weirdos like me I always talk about how frustrating it is being in a room like for pre-pro or whatever in the theater world and and being told again and again, stop doing it like a dancer. And you're like, why did yeah. I spend like yeah. 15 years of my life, <laughs> yeah. you know, training just yeah. to be told like, stop doing yeah. that. Well, and that was the thing too, is I was just like, I, I'm i actually really like proud of my training. Right. And I'm proud of the like years of blood, sweat and tears that I put into this. Um, and I... But I knew that in order to do that style of dance, I it wasn't, I couldn't figure out a way to put them together, mm-hmm. which is why theater was so great. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the fir- like very first piece that I actually choreographed um, was like, it was a line dance and it was hilarious because um, also I love line dancing. Um, but it there like there was no classical anything in it. Then I moved to New York. And once I was there, I was like, I want to start, I work in theater so much, um, and I get to, the thing I love about it is I get to do something different every time, um, sort of discover a new way of moving for each show I'm working on. And I was like, I kind of miss dancers. Mm. I miss like being around um, bodies that can do anything I can imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started making work and that's when I started embracing my ballet training and my classical training and um, just not letting myself be afraid of using all of my tools. Did you know that Broadway Dance Lab is the only nonprofit of its kind, created for the development and enrichment of choreographers and dedicated to promote the use of dance and musical theater storytelling? We're proud to have already supported great artists, but there are many more choreographers to discover and many more steps to be made. If you believe in our mission and would like to become a donor, please visit broadwaydancelab.org donate. Thank you, and here's to more dancing. So that I guess I'm assuming led to this the founding of Designated Movement Movement Company. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, which you founded in, in 2013, and uh, and I got to see some of your work last night, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, I want to read um, the mission statement 
from your company yes. that you have on the website uh-huh. because I think it's fantastic and then I want you to kind of talk about that okay. a little bit. Okay. So you say, we believe that movement and spoken text may be fully integrated within the performance arena with the same discipline that other design elements such as lights, sound, and costume are deployed, resulting in a balanced performance that may be actively observed but is capable of transforming and reframing itself into something experiential, honest, and deeply felt. So just talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So Dan O'Neill... Also, my husband co-founded the company with me, um, and he's a writer. So we started making a lot of work together that involved text, but it wasn't a play, um, and it involved dance, but it wasn't spoken word. Like, it was all of these things, and we kept trying to say it's dance theater in literally every sense. It's dance and theater, um, but it's not what you think dance theater is. And so we started to sort of like break it apart to say what exactly that is. And we realized that actually we're both designers. I'm a movement designer and he's a text designer. And we use those elements to create something completely new. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I make a dance and then he makes some text and then we just throw it together. It's that I will start a sort of movement investigation based off of some of the words that he's, some of the text that he's been working on. um, And that'll help me inform what the rest of the movement should be. And that'll help inform him as to where the text should go. I like to say that we tell feelings more than tell stories. Um, We're both really interested in, um, in audiences and how they experience things. Um, We like to say that we make dance for people who hate dance and theater for people who hate theater Um, because people really hate Mm -hmm. those things sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, But just trying to use our strengths to make something completely new yet accessible because one of our big things too is like embracing radical inclusivity Mm. um yeah so explain like i'm so fascinated i mean (laughs) because it's so up my alley and and yeah but um explain like your process like oh yeah how does that work yeah um it's insane because we basically make a new process for every show Mm. um it usually starts, and this is really embarrassing, but it usually starts where I'm like, I'm going to apply for a grant so we can like get studio space to make something new. What should it be about? And Dan's like, I don't know. What should it be about? And it's like, here's 10 bad ideas. And Dan's like, okay, let's take a little bit of that bad idea and a little bit of that bad, that, that bad idea, and we'll put them together. Um, and Or sometimes it's like, he'll be like, I've got this great idea for this. Or I'm like, I have this phrase in my head, and this is what it looks like. What does that remind you of? Um, where does that take you? And then we'll just sort of go off of go off of that. And then usually it involves a brief period of time where I'm in a studio with dancers by myself, um, and he is writing. Um, and, then, and then we'll come together, starting to, we workshop very heavily. Mm-hmm. We encourage play. We play in the studios a lot. We have a lot of fun. Um, And I love to try out every idea until I find the right one. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like just a lot of experimentation about what the piece should be and what it wants to be and what seems right, what feels right to the dancers. Um, 
I rely very heavily on the dancers to tell me about their experience um, and to try to get them to help us sort of push the ship in the direction that it needs to be going. How do you approach, because um, I think the point you brought up of, of it not just being, here's the movement, now say this while you're doing it. Yeah. You know, but really trying to make it go truly together. Like who I think of is um, Deviate. Is oh, Deviate. Yeah, yeah totally. So what I, because I love that work, and I what seems so amazing when you watch those shows is the way it does seem just so integrated. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. really is so together. I mean, do you ever, do you ever like, create a movement phrase and then let the dance say to the dancer like what do you feel like you want to say right now or like oh, or no. how do you oh you no know? yeah yes yes no um but both Dan and I don't really like improvisation okay we're both um uh we like hold on to our babies too tightly okay um the two of us so he'll always have text prepared and sometimes it's just like um you know, say this little chunk. Oh, this isn't. This doesn't work. Try something else mm-hmm. um, from the page of text. Or like sometimes he'll be like, "Oh, I know exactly what it needs to be," and he'll go away. And like twenty minutes later, he'll bring pages. Um, it's actually really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like I love companies like Deviate and Big Dance mm-hmm. Theater here in New York. Um, they, it's really, really hard, mm-hmm. and I. Every time we go into a new process, I'm like, we're reinventing the wheel. There's got to be an easier way to do this. But also what we love and what's so thrilling to me when we do it is it is fully integrated. And it has to be that the story the story needs to move. Like, it has to want to move. It can't be a play. If it's a play, then it needs to be a play. Um, so it's about finding the right materials, almost, that need to interact together. Um, and those materials are movement and choreography, um, pedestrian gesture, and then they're also, it's text, and it's, is it text with an accent? Is it, I'm not the person to talk to about text. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, is it more like stream of consciousness, or is it very affected in a certain way? And we don't, or I don't know those things until I get into the studio with people. And then we figure it It's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. I spent three months this summer working on a show where we ended up walking out of it being like, does it really want text in it? <laughs> I don't know that it does. Mm-hmm. And you have to be okay with that as a choreographer to just be like, I know you want to make a piece of dance theater, but sometimes it doesn't want to be dance theater. Sometimes right. it just wants to be dance. Or sometimes it just wants to be theater. I was going to mention, I mean, a, a big part of, or one of the things that, that made Josh, you know, want to start BDL is that oftentimes in the process, traditional process process of building a, a musical, dance is kind of the icing on the cake that's added right at the last minute. Um, but when you see a show like Curious Incident or um, Once or something that where the movement was from the beginning, it makes it so unique and special. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, if only every project could be like that. You know, why, I mean, talk about that. Like It should. It should. I mean, that's why I've stopped. In some instances, I just stop saying I'm a choreographer and start saying that I'm a movement designer because the lighting designer is on board from the beginning. Right. Like, they're going to the production meetings. They're listening to the director talk about. They're listening to all the departments, the entire creative team, talk about what they want this piece to look like, 
what they want it to feel like, how they want the audience to feel. Um, and to me, what's when I see a show that's really exciting, it's the choreographer has been in that room the whole time. Um, and they're not like, like, it's never like, let's all kick our legs up really high. It's right. like, how can we integrate movement in a way that you don't know it's being integrated? Like mm -hmm. a good, good lighting design, you don't notice, but you do, it like gets into your soul. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that's what's exciting about movement too, is that it can just like bypass the brain and just go straight to the heart. It's so nice, like Bart Bartlett Share, um, one of my favorite quotes of his is his desire, he talks about his desire to make every piece like an autonomous piece of art, you know, that lives by its own mm -hmm. rules. And I think adding movement yes. in like that lets it do that. Yes, you know, yes, let, yes, yes, it, yes, yes. It's, and it can even be subconscious, you know, you're yeah. like not quite sure why everybody on the stage is like leaning slightly to the right or whatever the rule is. Yes. But it, yeah. will, it does something. Yeah. I always like to say that, that what I try to do when I make a when I make anything, be it working in the theater, working in musical theater, or making my own work, is that I try, all I try to do is build a playground. Mm -hmm. So I build, and I just try to build structures that allow the performers to interact in a way that is so specific to the world that I've created that they can even make their own choices. But because I put the slide on one side and I put the jungle gym on the other, and you know, because I just set things up in a certain way, there's no choice but to interact with it in a certain way. Um, so that's what I've been. Tr that's what I try to do. do. Are you? Do you like viewpoints? Were you ever interested in the viewpoints? Um, yes. Yes, I was, when I first did viewpointing, I was like, oh, I'm so good at this. Like, I bet every choreographer right. that has ever done it, they're like, oh, like, <laughs> why like why don't they do viewpointing in dance school? Yeah, because well, like... it was actually made by a choreographer. Exactly, and Hoover, like, exactly. Like... And I feel like it should be, yeah, that was like an exciting moment where yeah. I was like, this, this is literally making choreography. Totally. Like, I, I can do this. You can learn more about Katie Rose and other choreographers featured on this program by visiting broadwaydancelab.org. InStep will be right back. So, um, in researching your body of work before we spoke today, one mm -hmm. one uh, project that it really interested me that I wanted to hear you talk a, a bit more about is Clara, not Clara, a Nutcracker. Yeah. Just because so many people, like for some reason, the Nutcracker just seems to fascinate our psyche as yeah. a as, a, as yeah. a people. Yeah. So what was it that drew you to it, and what how did you decide to put your own stamp on it? What did you do? Um, a director that I work with quite frequently was like in between apartments for a couple months and it was during the holidays and we were just like sitting around talking one day and we were like I was like oh I kind of miss doing the Nutcracker because when you grow up dancing you do the Nutcracker every year um and he was like I used to watch it every year and I was like that's strange and he's like yeah I've seen every Nutcracker and then we just like geeked out about Nutcrackers because I've also seen all of them we're like, PMB's Nutcracker does this, and isn't that crazy? And I like, I really love the peacock, but at the end, it's so weird. And like, and, like going through all of them because he had also seen all of them. And then, um, and then a couple of days later, we're like, we should do a Nutcracker, but we should do a dance theater Nutcracker. 
And so at first we were like, we're going to do the most traditional telling of the story. So we read E.T.A. Hoffman's book. Um, and then we were like, no, 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 no. Like, that's not, it's um, uh, like st- the structure of it doesn't really work for theater. So then the three of us sat down. And we were like, okay, maybe we need a new story. We need a new, like a whole new sort of stamp. And so Josh and I just sat and talked for hours about about the Nutcracker and Josh talked about growing up watching it and Josh is Jewish and like how strange it was to like his holiday tradition was wrapped up in watching this Christmas story essentially Um, and then how I grew up doing it every year from age seven and going uh, like going through the ages and and then as I was talking I was like oh my goodness, the Nutcracker is actually the only ballet that exists in like the ballet canon that encompasses the life of a dancer. So you start taking ballet classes and you're going to be in a Nutcracker. Like be it you're just a rat and you run across stage once, mm-hmm. they'll put you in. Um, and then you, you know, sort of rise to the ranks and then you're a professional dancer and then you're like sugar plum fairy and it's amazing. Um, and then you retire and then you're like back at the party, but you're an adult, <laughs> right. right? And then you're like really old and you're like a grandparent at the party. Uh-huh. And basically like as long as you can walk on stage, Never you can be in the that. Nutcracker, it's right? True. Right. Um, and no other ballet is like that. Uh-huh. And actually how cool is it Mm. Um, because ballet is not an art form that's designed for longevity longevity (laughs) or like inclusive inclusivity of any age other than like age 21 right Um, but also something that I thought about while I was while I was you know just talking about this is that dancers actually um, improve their artistry the older that they get, um, that actually usually at the when they retire, when ballet dancers retire, they're at the height of their artistry. And if they were able to keep dancing without their bodies falling apart, they would only get better. Mm-hmm. Um, like Judy Dench is incredible, right. and she only conti- like she continues to get better. Um, like what if these dancers could keep dancing if you know they if their bodies weren't literally falling apart? Right. Um, like how exciting is that? And so I was like. I want to make a Nutcracker that's multi-generational, and I want to try to take advantage of um, the fact that these dancers, these older dancers, while their legs don't go as high, while they like don't dance on point anymore and like can't do 32 puetes, that they are like on the same level as a dancer who is, you know, a principal dancer at a ballet company. Uh, they're just different. So Dan wrote this story called Clara, Not Clara. Um, and it's about a woman named Clara who never gets to dance the role of Clara in the Nutcracker. Um, but she grows up and becomes a dancer. And then she like she gets into a car accident. I hope I'm not giving anything away. She goes to college. Um, she has a like series of failed love affairs. She gets married. She almost gets divorced. Then, like, it ends with her in a nursing home that's infested with rats. <laughs> and she has an eye patch. Uh-huh. Um, for our show, we did a workshop of it in 2014, and we took four stages of this story. So, Clara, age seven, Clara, age 27, Clara, age 57, and Clara, age 87. So, we did it in this warehouse, and there were two pianos there that were miraculously kind of in tune, and we kind of pushed them together. 
Um, and then Ian played, and then we had another musician who also played piano and trumpet and glockenspiel. Um, and then there was also voiceover, which was the text that Dan wrote. But anyway, it was like the first time I was able to use um, that my like ballet training wasn't a liability, um, that I could tell this story using the experience, like every experience that I've had, that yeah. I could use a little bit of clown, I could use a little bit of theater, I can use some text, I can use all the things that I know how to do mm-hmm. and put them together into this one piece. Mm-hmm. That's really nice because uh, so oft- so many times, at least for me, you're told like you have to figure out exactly what you are. You know, you have to, you have to put yourself in a box and like sell yourself. And it, it's nice when you have moments where you're like, maybe I don't, like, or maybe I can have, <laughs> ma- build a new box, yeah. like using all the other, th- you know, yeah. all the things. Like one of the like greatest compliments I've ever gotten, um, Young Jean Lee, who's a playwright, she, I, she saw two pieces of mine. I think like a couple weeks apart. Um, and we don't know each other, but I happened to like run into her. Um, and she was like, oh, I saw this piece. And I was like, oh, I choreographed that. And she was like, oh, I saw this piece. And I was like, I choreographed that too. (laughs) And she was like, you did? (laughs) They didn't look anything alike. And I was like, that means I succeeded because my whole goal is to like create a new world of movement for everything that I do. Um, so I totally succeeded. Producers hate that. Um, and I feel like New York, I mean, I feel like the sort of commercial world in general, like they just want to put you in a box, Mm -hmm. um, which is fine, but I would rather just like get to do everything. Right. So I always like to hear, um, from people, which not that you're like anywhere near the end of your career by any means, but, (laughs) but, um, I always find it interesting to hear people look back at, at when they first started, um, and sort of think about, you know, what, like, what do you feel like the biggest lesson you've learned so far in your creative process has been? Um, keep going, keep trying new things, keep trying new things. I think generally the times when things aren't going to work out, it's because you're like, Oh, this is going to be like this. Mm -hmm. And then you get into the room and the dancers don't do it right. The director doesn't like it, but you're like, but this has to be it because I spend so many hours in my living room working on this piece um, and not being open to the circumstances mm-hmm. and being open to the universe. Um, that's totally it. Just like trying to be open to the universe, which is really, really hard mm-hmm. um, because they always say like, prepare, 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 like, you know, make sure you know exactly what's going to happen at every single moment. Um, well, I know that was something that you experienced with BDL because you mentioned to me yes. that you were like, you know, Josh said, come, come with nothing expected. And that's what really what I did, which was scary. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, Josh was like, do, um, he was like, I find that choreographers are successful when they do something that scares them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Um, okay. And then I was like, what's the scariest thing I could do? I was like, I could come into a room full of professional dancers with nothing prepared and that is what I did, and it was completely terrifying, but also completely thrilling. Um, and I was able to make so many breakthroughs because I think I didn't have anything planned, and I wasn't married to anything. Um, I wasn't like, no, it has to be a tondu, and it has to be on the right foot because that's what I said it was going to be. Um, but I'm like, oh, right foot, that doesn't work. Do the left foot. Like, mm-hmm. do it upside down. There, that's fun. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I found that I moved so much faster mm. when I didn't have a plan. And when 
There was one day when I came in with a phrase, and that phrase took like two hours. When I made like the first, I made like five minutes of material in like four hours. Mm. And that was like, which is quite quick. Like it was right. pretty. So that was, I don't know. How do you tell someone to just like scare themselves every day? Right. <laughs> but maybe you should scare yourself a little bit every day. Yeah. Well, and also I think, um, I mean, it's, I, I agree with him actually just from my own personal experience because definitely the, the time in my life where I truly walked in a room, closed the door and said, I have no idea what's going to happen has been my proudest achievement, like artistically. That's so exciting. But, but, you know, I remember at the end of that process, I looked back and I was like, well, this was a really big lesson because obviously this really did pay off, but it's not always going to be exactly like yeah. this, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what's hard about it is that, like, I've tried in a way to replicate that experience again, and it's never going to be like that again. Yeah. So totally. now I have to do it again. You know, like now I have to, <laughs> now I have to change the rules again yeah. and then again, and, yeah, you know, yeah, which yeah. is very hard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's like the pressure that um, Elizabeth Gilbert, have you ever read uh, Eat, Pray, Love? Or yes. She's, she's yeah. a TED Talk where she talks about the pressures of success. And after she wrote Eat, Pray, Love, you know, she was in her, I think, mid-40s. And it's like, it's very possible that my greatest work is now behind me, but I have like a half a life left. Yeah. And how do I like wake up in the morning and keep going, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, and that's what we were talking about, people wanting to put you in boxes, is that like if she didn't feel the pressure to like be a novelist, like maybe she like wants to go paint for a little bit, but then people are like, why is this person who writes novels painting? Right. Um, when I think sometimes about that, about you know, what if my interests change and I want to go and do this sort of thing and, like, how to create a world for my... How to create a playground for myself that's going to keep me interested for a life um, and also allow me to make discoveries and play and... Yeah, and, and achieve things. I mean, I because yeah. I, I think about that a lot, too. My, my career has been really all over the place. And, you know, that's great, and I like to allow myself to explore all those things, but then there's a part of me that's like, but I, I want to, like, feel like I make a mark in yeah. something, yeah. you know, so how do I balance, like, staying open to different choices with, like, following a path, you know, it's hard. When you figure that out, will you tell me? I, I sure will. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, that kind of leads me into my next question for you, which is... Um, you know, the life of being a freelance artist is so challenging, not least of which for the reason that you have to be your own cheerleader and your own agent constantly. Yeah. Do you have any kind of, um, like, daily rituals or routines that you go through to, to kind of keep yourself creating, like, when you're between projects or mm. anything? I, I'm one of those people who, like, see... Um, I try to stay open, and that's... I think my daily routine is as a human being, I try to stay open, um, which is hard because I can take things personally, mm -hmm. um, which is like in this industry, not the greatest. Um, but the benefit of that is I see choreography in everything and I can get inspired by, um, like last time I was in Minnesota, we were, I was driving and then like, all of these cars started merging in different ways and sort of dancing. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And like, 
um, you know, like talked to Siri to like try to remember this like <laughs> moment of watching these like giant things move through space or like little bits of movies or um, you know, just like the rhythm of my feet walking down the street one day or like um, I just try to I just try to stay open. So uh, do you have any other advice for for people that are trying to set on the path of being a choreographer? I know we're all figuring it out as we go. Yeah. But. <laughs> um, I would say make as much work as possible. Uh-huh. Um, I think that especially in this day and age, we try to be like, I'm the person that does this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't give ourselves the opportunity to try a thousand different things and like fail at a thousand different things. Um, and I would say for anyone, any young people that want to be a choreographer, like try everything, like try to, if you're a modern dancer, try to make a ballet, try to make a tap dance, Mm -hmm. um, try to do, try to do everything and then take what you can from those successes, but take more from your failures and put that into what kind of work you want to make. Because you don't really know until you've done it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't say that you don't like broccoli until you try broccoli. Right. Yeah. Um, well, the last question I always ask everyone on this program is just why do we need dance in our lives? Super cheesy, but I feel like dance is the, not your question, my answer. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> um, I feel like dance is a universal language. It's the way that you can actually tell a story um, that can be applicable to everyone. Um, I feel like dance has this ability, I think I said this earlier, dance has this ability to bypass the brain and go straight to the heart. Um, And nothing else can do that. Language is beautiful and amazing and it's such a great tool but it requires a different kind of engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, In dance, what I love is you can sit back and watch something and be like, oh, that's it. And then there'll be this moment where it's one movement, a tiny gesture, something, um, maybe the way that they're coming across the stage or the direction um, will just like hit you. Mm -hmm. And that's thrilling. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like it makes us more human. It connects us a little bit better. which is, you know, something we need in this world is some sort of common ground and place that we can, a jumping off point. All right. Well, Katie Rose, thank you so much. It's, you're fascinating. I, <laughs> I really, I'm a fan. I'm going to come see everything from now on. <laughs> thank thank you. you. Thank you so much, Nick. InStep is produced by Broadway Dance Lab and recorded, edited, and hosted by Nick Kepley. Be sure to follow us on social media using the handle at Lab and visit our website, broadwaydancelab.org.